We're playing reggae and soul, um, everything, you know. Um, someone's just mentioned Saxon Sound System. Saxon Sound System I used to go and see as well. They're unbelievable. Um, but um, it was uh, amazing that, you know, we, we had that kind of culture to drive us on. So once, once, I was with, once I was with Stateside, you know, being a bit of a box boy, and I used to look after their records in my mum's garage. So, <laughs> so I was so happy because I used to go to my mum's garage every day in the evening and pull out the records and play them on the stereo system inside my flat. So that taught me a lot as well. That taught me a lot. So, but once I left, once I, I kind of got out the stateside thing, um, I was kind of, you know, Acid House had come along, really. Or, uh, Rare Groove and Acid House are both starting to come through in, in the UK, in London. Um, and um, basically, I met up with some guys that became, you know, one of the legendary sound systems in the UK. That was Shock Sound System. Um, now, that came out of two brothers. One was Stan Zephyrin, who is Stan Zeph now. He's based in Atlanta. Right. Yeah. And the other one was um, Dean Zephyrin, who is now known as Zephyrin Saint. Right. With Tribe Records, yeah. So that was their sound system. So we joined them. It was me, um, another guy called Cecil Peters, um, Paul Denton, um, and Ricky Light, who went on to become a very famous uh, recording artist who – Sadly, uh, he's not on this planet anymore. But um, you know, we had a we had a, a big crew, man, and um, we started to doing. We were doing a lot of parties, house parties, uh, and then we got a spot at the Notting Hill Carnival. Oh, that's big! That's a big, that's big. Now, when we got to Notting Hill Carnival, we we were placed where we were actually placed. Our sound system was in a place called Powys Square, which is kind of right in the centre of Notting Hill there. Um, and we were pulling in probably, Jesus, um, four or 5,000 people stretching all the way down to Labrick Grove, you know, incredible crowds. Um, and, you know, we were kind of next, not from, just around the corner from Norman Jay. And it's kind of, you know, where we got to meet Norman because he, he had the good time sound system. That's right, with his brother. Yeah, with Joey, yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's a true story, actually. In Norman Jay's book, um, he was kind of a bit feeling a bit low about his sound system. And he walked around the corner one day, and he could see shock sound system in full effect. And he said, he, said he looked, and he went, right, I know what to do now. <laughs> and, he, and he went back around to good time sound system, and he was like, right, we're going to get back on track, you know. So, uh, But we were the first sound system to start, I think, um, playing house music at Notting Hill Carnival. Really? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, because uh, before us doing that, it was, it was always uh, kind of soul, boogie, reggae. That was the kind of vibe of Notting Hill Carnival. But when house music started coming through, you couldn't stop it. You couldn't stop it, you know. Right, it just came through. It took over. It took over, man. And we were we were on the early house days. Sorry, the early house music, very very quickly, you know, because I jazz. Yeah. 
Brother Man, how early are we talking? Let's let's really break it down. What tracks were the ones that were doing it for the Notting Hill? Oh man, well we well, we well, well, basically we were we were going through Notting Hill and we were going through Clink Street in South London, which was where the famous club Rip, the Rip parties, which were kind of illegal parties. Um, so they, the parties there had people like Kid Bachelor, Eddie Richards, um, Mr. C DJ, and then Shock Sound System had the back room. Okay. So um, but the kind of music we were playing, you know, we were playing stuff like um, um, No Way Back, Adonis, you know, Eddie Stockley, I'll, I Will Always Love You. Yeah, it's like 87. 87, 87 yeah. We were playing things. We were still playing stuff like Jazz yeah. Carnival, you know, records like that. that had the speed, but uh, they fitted into the house groove, if you like, you know. So the, we had things like um, Who's Gonna Ease the Pressure. Um, there was some great records, you know, and but that was kind of the build for us, if you like, of uh, the house music. Um, but one one guy I've got to mention was Jazzy M. Now, no one really talks about Jazzy M, but that guy was the, you know, he was the one of the forefathers, the builders of house music scene in the UK. Because Jazzy yeah. M? I asked him to come on my show, and he said no to me because he's writing a book or something. He's uh. <laughs> oh, Jazzy. I know Jazzy he's too. I said, come on, dude. You got to come on. You're a godfather, for God's sake. He is, man. He is. I mean, he... We used to go down to his record shop. Um, yeah, we used to go down to his record shop down in um, uh, Croydon, My Price Records. Can so I say something about Croydon? I've been told if you have friends in Croydon, those friends have to stay over there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> See, even you said that. If you got friends in friggin' Croydon, tell them to stay in Croydon. I went, okay. I don't know why. <laughs> Victoria's asking, but why? I don't know, Victoria. Oh, uh, Croydon, Croydon, Croydon's a tough area, man. Well, it's That's not so much crazy. now, but it used to be tough. Yeah. yeah. But um, but yeah, but um, yeah, we used to travel down there from London to go and pick up our house music from Jazzy M, all the vinyl, you know, and. Crazy days. Everyone would be in that shop. You know, people like Colin Favor. Um, everyone was in that shop, man, buying their tunes. You know, incredible tunes. Um, but yeah, he was he was a guy that you know, without Jazzy M, I don't think the you know because he had a record show as well on uh, on radio on LWR record on on a radio station called LWR, um, and we used to listen to it so constantly all the time just so we could find out the records were hot big time man. look at Nikki Holloway writes Croydon <laughs> the palace of South London I know that for a fact because in New York we were getting records sent from Jazzy store to us direct and Jazzy asked me many many moons ago if I can get him Puma baskets and send them to England because he couldn't get them. So I had to ship baskets over to him. Long wow. Going in the 80s, I remember that. But good times. Yes, Jazzy's, I know that for a fact how important Jazzy is to the scene. Yeah. So bring and, then, 
And then also we had, um, because we were a sound system, uh, we had a very, uh, what I can only describe as a, a very influential gig. Um, we had a sound clash, and this was just before they broke nationally, well, worldwide. It was with Soul to Soul uh, because um, Jazz B, you know, he was an old friend of ours, still is, um, and all the Soul to Soul crew. Um, and uh, we decided to have a sound clash in a place called Muswell Hill, which was in North London. Oh, and we had it in a car park and the two sound systems. Trust me, it was crazy, man. And uh, there it was shock sound system versus soul to soul. Um, and, yeah, I think, well, to this day, I think we won it. We won the sound clash. Jazzy will tell you different if you ever speak to him. <laughs> but Jazzy's no, mum was doing no, the food. No, man. It did not yeah. Jersey's <laughs> mum was doing the food. She, that was wicked. That, that was the best part for me. The really interesting thing about that gig was, you know, a lot of heads uh, came out to that gig um, to watch us at, at work. And I think it was beginning to really start to spread, you know, the whole vibe of dance music culture out of the UK because, you know, Jazzy had just come through with um, – Keep on moving, and he was playing, and he was playing the dub plates um, of "Keep on Moving" at that gig. You know, we were listening five times. He dropped that five times. He dropped the dub plate of "Keep on Moving" at that gig. Crazy man. What was the reaction? Do you remember? Yeah, the reaction. A lot of people weren't dealing with "Keep on Moving" after about the third or third time he played it. All of a sudden, people were like. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is all right, this June. Because this it was different. The whole the whole thing that was going on, this is a whole different vibe. Him dropping that record slow and and R&B-ish. Yes. It was very, very different because even the hip-hop that was being played then was very up-tempo. Right. You know? you know, it was all that kind of real, you know, Big Daddy Kane, everything else, you know, Letter to the Better, and then, you know, the interesting about that gig as well. Oh, yeah, man. You're Akeem. And then you also had CJ's record, Pump Up the Volume. Yeah, exactly. CJ was a big influence. But the, interest, the interesting thing about that gig, Lenny, was there was a young 14-year-old kid that Ooh. came to that gig. It was James Lavelle. Really? Yeah. And he, were, and he, went, and he was living in Oxford at the time. And he came to that gig, and I think he went away, and he thought, I want to get in this music game. <laughs> that's what happens. You yeah, know, that's what happens, man. You see things that maybe, you know, we're in the middle of sweating it through, we're doing our thing, and others are looking at this like this is Disney World, the magical moment. It's like, wow. You know, meanwhile, you're fighting, you're trying to get the system right. You know, there's a lot of things going on, but yet on the outside, people are looking at it. They think it's paradise and inside. It's a, it's a pit of debauchery. <laughs> but it's, um, it's, you know, it's, it was a crazy, it was crazy times. And it, you know, the one thing, my only one regret um, about the early days of the, the house dance scene in the, uh, in the London and the UK was there wasn't enough um, footage, enough um, video, enough oh, photographs were taken, you know, 
which is a real shame because people are people always asking me for you know for photos and footage. I haven't got any. Yeah. When you were at that point with Shock the System, how deep were you in it? Were you besides I guess DJing the whole thing? Did you have a partnership in the sound as well? Did you all when I, when I well, when I, yeah, when I started with Shock Sound System, um, I was a box boy. You know, let's you know, right. any, anything, yeah, any sound system you start with, you have to do what they call the apprenticeship. It's a cleanup boy. Come on, yeah. boy. <laughs> so you had to, so you had to start with the being the box boy. Yeah, the cleanup boy, um, and then you know, after a while, you you, you kind of learnt about how to play the decks, you know, which was the um, the uh, SL1200s or 1210s now. So you'd have to learn the decks, um, SP, sorry, SP1200s. And then there would be like, um, um, you know, learning how to select the records, learning how to read the crowd because that was very important. You know, if you had the crowd up there, you made sure you kept them there, you know. So that was that was a big big thing to learn, but it was it was all it was all a, you know an incredible process because you know each my, one of my sayings I love to say is each one teach one, you know, and it's very important that you know we were a we we were a community, um, and we all learned off each other. You know, there were no egos. If you had any if you had any egos, you went out the door. There was no egos. I wish it was like that now. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> I wish. Trust me. Me too. Mm. Boy, there's so much ego with this social media crap. It's crazy. Yeah. But back then, it was really blood, sweat, and tears in every way. Oh, it was, man. It was blood, sweat, and tears. But you know what? It was a very interesting scene because, um, you know, if you want to move on slightly now from shock sound system, um. I, I kind of ended up, you know, I ended, we ended up. I ended up leaving shock um, to, to sort of start doing uh, solo gigs, I think, and stuff like that, you know. Um, and I started really going to a place called um, it was called Queens, which was on Windsor Reservoir. Now that was run by Phil. Perry and his partner at the time, Fiona, uh, Fiona Crawford. And it was a Sunday afternoon session. And I started to go there. And uh, that's when I first met, you know, Rocky and Diesel, who became Express 2 with me, yeah. Uh, that's where I first met Andrew Weatherall. Um, all these characters were there, like Terry Farley, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's how I kind of got myself ingratiated into the whole Junior Boys Own setup, you know. Um, and, funny, and funny enough, Terry Farley is another reggae boy too. Yes, he is. Yes, I know as well. He's a big reggae kid, Terry. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, it was really interesting, and it, and and it was weird because after being in the sound system for such a long time. Um, and then all of a sudden you're in a you're in a club, and uh, that a Sunday afternoon club, and the music was different to me. I was like I couldn't quite get my head around it because after listening to house and soul and reggae and hip hop for quite a long time, 
these guys were kind of playing almost what what everyone would describe as Balearic now, right? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So they're playing these like weird records, and I'm like, what's this? And I remember, you know, going up to Weatherall, he was DJing. I'm going, what's this record? And he'd say, oh, and he'd, he'd write it down on a bit of paper for me, you know. And then you look at it, and you and I'd, you know, try and work out what is this stuff. And it was like they were playing records by like dance records for like rock bands, you know. And you're like scratching your head, going, what is this? What is? This? I don't understand. Um, but eventually, it kind of worked out where I was thinking, ah, oh, so this is this whole Ibethan Balearic scene that started up in the UK on the back of, um, you know, uh, Danny Rampling and people like that, and you know, Paul Oakenfold and Nicky Holloway, funny enough, and Johnny Walker, and all these characters were bringing this music back to the UK, courtesy of um, uh, people like Alfredo, you know famous, very legendary DJ. And they were bringing these music back to UK. So once again, the sound was beginning to, to change, you know. And then you had, you know, then you had this whole thing like tracks like Kenny Loggins being played and stuff like that. And you're like, Kenny Loggins? This isn't like, this is like MOR music, man. <laughs> and, you know, and you're watching all these kids on E! on ecstasy, dancing to, like, Kenny Loggins. You're like, what's going on? <laughs> but I've got, um, I've got to give props as well because when I, when I first started to hang out at Queens, um, Phil and Fiona were, well, you know, they, they, they allowed me to, to come and DJ as a warm-up DJ, as a guest on my own. Um, and then I started to get kind of bookings and stuff from that. So I've got to give them major props. Um, and then Wayne Shires, who was um, – he was a, a big promoter on the gay scene. Um, he knew my girlfriend at the time, Susie Jones, and she used to, like, you know, be around and do the door for clubs, et cetera. And um, he got me to play at the WAG Club because the WAG Club had uh, closed. Wow. And it, and it became The Brain. Uh, that's the name of the club. So um, – the brain I started to DJ on a Sunday night and, you know, and I really started to kind of research and flex my muscles a bit. And I was playing funny enough, a lot of, um, I was really into a lot of us garage, you know, into that whole kind of moving records, which is one of my favorite labels, you know, that kind of vibe. And, and I was really into my Tony Humphreys and all that stuff, you know, it's a lot of, and Frankie Knuckles, obviously. And, you know, Kerry Chandler was a big favourite. So all of that really early 90s house sound um, I was really, really into. And I was really trying to try and promote that sound as much as I could, you know, with my gigs. Definitely. No, that's cool because that's part of you, the soulful sound. And yeah. that sound, and I know all the Londoners, the DJs was soaking that stuff up coming in as imports. You guys were grabbing everything coming in from America. Anything like you heard Tony Harper's playing or any of the DJs playing, you guys were right on. In fact, you had it before some of us had it in America. Well, the, well, the weird thing was, the weird thing was we, um, we had, <laughs> uh, you know, we had uh, Tony Humphrey's um, uh, cassette tapes coming in you know, coming into the, coming into the UK. Um, I, I had started a job as well at uh, the famous black market records. Yep. 
Dogwood so, Street, everybody. Yeah. The West End. Yeah, in the West End. Yeah, in Darbley. Darbley. <laughs> Street. Yes. Um, so I was rock. I was rocking in Black Market, you know. And for me, that was oh my god, that was like being in heaven every day, you know, turning up for work, uh, knowing that you're going to be working in Black Market Records was like oh my god. And you know, working with the people in there, you had like Mickey D, you had Stafford, you know, you had people like Zaki, Sophie. Yeah. Um, um, Rene Gelston, Dave Pachoni, all these characters were there, you know. And Dave, my my main period of working there was when Dave Pachoni was the boss, right? You know, and Dave, um, really interesting talking to Dave at the time because I I didn't realize um, that Dave had lived in New York, you know, uh, and he was he had, yeah, that's right. And uh, I'd lived in New York for a brief time as well in the mid eighties. Um, I was in Jamaica, Queens with really? family. How'd you, yeah. how'd you forget to mention that a few minutes ago? Come on. Oh, I'll keep forgetting. I was only there a few months, you know. You wasn't there that long. Wait, wait, that, that area where Hollis, Queens? Well, I, you know, I can't remember. All I remember was there was a, we, where I was in Jamaica, Queens, there was a big, there was big brown, big brownstones there. Um, and the, there was a lot of kind of, um, the Bajans, the Bay people from Barbados, they all seem to be there. <laughs> Bajans, yeah. <laughs> Not the Jamaicans, the Bajans. <laughs> so you stood a few months during that summer? What was it, during the summer? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, over, yeah, it was over spring, summer period. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I didn't, the weird thing is, I didn't really get to go out much um, because just hanging out with family, um, and I think I went to one place. I think it was Mars. Oh, okay. I know when you were there. Okay, yeah. yeah. West Side Highway, yep. Yeah, I think that was Mars. And uh, that was kind of, um, uh, I think that was Premier. Might, might have been DJ Premier in there and Bobby Condors. Bobby yeah. Condors, yes. Yeah. I'm still a huge fan of Bobby Condors. Yeah, he's a great he's a, DJ. Great DJ. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, but uh, it was it was a very interesting experience, you know. And um, but I didn't I didn't get to go to like you know the Paradise Garage or anything like that at well, all. That's after Garage Mars. That's all after. That's yeah. Ah, oh, that's all after. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah that's already the end of that beginning of the house scene, but the end of the glory. Yes. Yes. In, in, indeed. Indeed. So, so you, you're you're getting your wings as the DJ. You meet you met up with Rocky and and all the Junior Boys guys that eventually you wound up working with. So where does the production begin for you? Where does that start to? Right. Well, this is the interesting story now. Um, my my did my first record was called The Psychic Vitamins. Right <laughs> now, this record consisted a psychic of what? The psychic vitamins. Psychic vitamins. Okay, vitamins. Yeah, vitamins, yeah. Psychic vitamins to you. I do you know what I'm saying? The psychics of Italy. I went a psychic of Italy. I said that can't be right. The psychic vitamins. Okay, vitamins. Yeah, it's the psychic vitamins, yeah. Which basically was was a break beat and it was um some Jimi Hendrix samples and a bit of a funk vibe going on. Um I think that I I, I still think there's a load of copies out there somewhere, but I did have a look on Discogs the other day, and I think they're going for about £40 for a 12 now. I was like, what? 
um, but then the second record, now this is interesting, the second record, um, I, had, I had just left um, Black Market Records um, and I was kind of at a loss what I needed to do, really. Um, and I'd gone down to a record called, sorry, a record shop called Cheapo Chico, which is in the West End. And I bumped into Norman Jay. And Norman Jay pointed out a record to, that I should buy, um, which was the Tramps, uh, their third album, Tramps 3. And on that record was Where Were You When The Lights Went Out. Where were you when the, when the lights went out? So when I got the record home, um, and that was, yeah, that was the track that really, you know, I was like, wow, I'd never heard this before. I was like, wow. No. No. Oh my God, that's such a big New York. Oh my God! This is what this is what I found out later. Everybody who so I, I had absolutely no idea. So Norman Jay is the guy that turned me on to that record, right? <laughs> so when I got it home, I was like, "Wow, this is amazing! I want to do something with it." So I said to my flatmate John, "I was like, John, you know, what can we do? Where, where are we going to do this?" And he and he said, hey, "You still got your mate at the studio in South London?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." And he's, his name was Danny Arno. So I went down to Danny's, asked him about maybe booking some time to do the to do the record, and he was like, "Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's do it." So I then got in contact with Rob Mello, and so me, Rob, John Howard, and Danny Arno all went into the studio, and we <laughs> how we how we got it done, I don't know. Some crazy times, but somehow or another, we ended up doing loads of mixes, desktop mixes. Of, of Where Were You, Black Science Orchestra, right? Mm. So four of the mixes we managed to kind of pick out, me and Rob Mello, and I took them over to Terry Farley at uh, Junior Boys Own, and I said, look, Terry, man, you know, give it a listen, da-da-da. He listened to it, and he was, like, bugging about it, and he said, yeah, yeah, let's let's press it up. So I was I, – I, couldn't have been even more excited than nor could Rob, really. You know, we were like bugging. Anyway, the tune got pressed up. Um, and to be honest with you, it really it didn't do a lot in the UK at the time. It was like, it was a, it's what we call a sleeper. It was a bit of a sleeper. Right. Anyway, I went to New York and I ended up in Keita's in Manhattan. And Benji, Benji Candelario, he came over to me and he was like, hey, Ashley, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. Then he said, your record's blown up in New York. And I said, what record? And he went, this record is playing now. And I looked over and Frankie Knuckles on the decks. I think it was the Friday night session. Frankie Knuckles was on the decks and he was playing Where Were You? And the crowd was, the crowd was going mental. I was like... That's that's my record. <laughs> wait, wait, didn't Ben just tell you that's your record? Yeah, no, I know, I, I, I couldn't believe it. And you had a delayed reaction. Wait a minute, that's my record. That's my record. Yeah. So the weird thing was, Frankie came off the decks for a little bit of a breather, uh, and Benji said, "Look, do you want to meet Frankie?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I'd love to meet Frankie Knuckles, man." So he took me over to meet Frankie Knuckles, and uh, I said to Frankie Knuckles, "I said, look." 
this is, I was, I was like stuttering, you know, I just said, look, thank you so much for, for, for playing my record. And as quick as I said that, Frankie Knuckles turned around to me and said, thank you so much for making the record. Right. That would be something Frankie yeah. would have said. Yes. That was the bomb. Yes. You know? And the weird, and after that, so Frankie Knuckles now, after I found that out, I've told the boys' own people, look, Frankie Knuckles, it's, it's, it's going mad, this record in the States. And once that came out, you know, and bearing in mind there's not a lot of social media going on, it was all about people's words. Word spreads, man. And yeah. Oh, you hear that? Word. Yeah, word. <laughs> people say, yo, you got that record, Frank, just like this. What's that record Frankie's playing with the tramp sample? That's what people were saying. Yeah. Because they didn't know they didn't know it was you. They didn't know it was on Terry Farley's label. All they knew was what's the track with the tramp saying, Where were you? Where were yeah. you? Like, I don't know. Frankie's playing it. Somebody called Frankie. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. And the record, you know, the record just blew up. It was uh was playing on Kiss Master Mix. Forget it. Forget I know it. I couldn't. And even to this day, you know, when I go back to New York, um, it's, it's, it's the record that kind of, it's there always with me. You know, people go, this is Ashley Beadle. He's, he's one of the guys that did like, where were you? And they're like, stop <laughs> it. <laughs> Yo! It's like, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it was a very proud moment and, you know, and all due all respect you and all praises due to Rob Mello because part of the, uh, the problem I think with the label, and I must get this straight was Rob wasn't credited properly on the label. Um, so it's, it's a weird one and it's like, ah, and it really annoyed me, it's, you know, to this day, but you know, it was a joint effort between me, Rob Mello and Danny Arno and John, you know, John Howard when we made that record. So it's all good, you know, that's how Joe, funny enough, is how my wife Joe discovered me as well was through that record. <laughs> she but she'd heard it. <laughs> right. Isn't that something that a record could do that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now you went from Breakbeat Bastard to House Name. Yes. Junior Boy Zone is starting also to build their reputation too at the same time because they were very early and young in the game. Yes. They were. And it was interesting because I think um, Rocky and Diesel were very close friends with Terry Farley and Andrew Weatherall. Um, and they wanted they, they wanted to make a record, basically. Um, so Terry turned around to Rocky and Diesel and said, look, well, Ashley's been working out of this studio. Do you want to go and make a record with Ashley? But Ashley could help produce it and I just started laughing because I thought I'm not a producer I don't, know, I don't know what the hell I'm doing right so we went in the studio um and basically a lot of ideas we, we, we all went in with a stack of vinyl to sample you know and we went in there and I kind of lost my mind with the with the amount of effort and time and everything else that went into this track. And I kind of left Rocky and Diesel in the studio and went home. 
Came back next day, and Rocky Deesham said, right, well, you, I, I know, you, you know, you left us behind and that, but you've got to listen to this. And all of a sudden, it was Music Express coming out the speakers. And I'm like, damn, this is, this is quite crazy. Wow. So, they gave they gave the uh, they gave a dub plate an acetate to I think it was uh, Terry Farley and Fabi Paras who was a big DJ uh, around them times you know and they went up the motorway to some gig somewhere played the acetate and uh, that's it boom just went crazy is something is it that something like a one night can change. <laughs> Not even one night in one in five minutes you went from I don't know if this track works to holy smoke this thing is a smash. Yeah, it was being everybody played it, everybody, you know, and it went from not just one sort of style of house DJ, but it was like right across the board from the black DJs that were playing garage to the white guys that were playing techno, you know, to the black guys that were playing techno. Everyone was playing this record, everybody. And it was flipping me out. I was going to, you know, we couldn't believe it. The amount of different people that were coming up and going, you know, that tune you guys done, Music Express. Yeah. Crazy. That's what I'm talking about, a record that crosses all genres. Yeah. 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 But then... Of course, you know, we go into your other records, which was the other hot track, too, that came out around that time that you produced. The one with the breakbeat jazz track, uh, jazz sample in it. Um, the New Jersey Beat. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you heard that? You heard that? And it's just the way he said, the New Jersey Deep. Uh, <laughs> that was the killer. Because that's where I actually hear the breakbeat influence in the drum programming. Well, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, a lot of people bug me about the drums, but I want to tell you the truth, right? Uh oh. I just finished remixing um, Bob Jones. Uh, he had a track out on a label called Black on Black. And I just literally finished remixing the track. And the drums I had left over were really kind of that, just really fly funk drums. I was like, these are badass, these drums. And I went in the studio to do the other Black Science Orchestra EP. Um, and I had the sample from uh, Wood, Brass and Steel, Funkin' Over. And I was bugging on that sample anyway. So it's like classic. And the fact is the band are out in New Jersey, right? So. We were, um, and they were uh, originally the uh, they were originally the Sugar Hill backing band, Funkin' Over. So anyway, so we flipped the sample, and the drums just fitted it. It was sick, you know. The drums just fitted it, and we were like, "Oh damn!" That re that track took us about four hours to make. <laughs> That's um, a rap, right, it's a wrap. Let's just get it out yeah, there. Done. It's done. Yeah. And you know, between myself, Mark Walford, and Ushi Klassen, that was that was the the Black Science Orchestra at the time, you know. So we flipped it, and then we did the other tracks for the EP. It was called the Altered States EP. Once again, I went over to America, and I went down to Rock and Soul Records because I, I'm a huge fan of uh, Walter Gibbons, right? Yep. 
Walter used to work in the shop. And I thought, let me go to this record shop where Walter Gibbons used to work. So I've walked into the record shop, and just to, the, just to the left of me was a load of vinyl, and I'm going through the vinyl, and I pulled out this bootleg, and the bootleg was of New Jersey Deep. The Americans had already bootlegged it. <laughs> they weren't playing, boy. They weren't playing, man. They weren't playing. Oh, and they'd already bootlegged it. And, it and, and once again, people weren't quite clicking onto it in the UK. And then... It took two guys who started to play at a club in um, the UK called Hard Times. Sure. And it was Kenny and Louie, masters at work. So all you needed for them to rock it. Yeah, and they put, the, they put, they put New Jersey Deep on a mixtape uh, on a compilation. That's when everyone started bugging on New Jersey Deep, you know? So big up, big up, um, Kenny and Louie, man. <laughs> As always. Actually, it's funny. Yeah. Masterwork just came out with a new single after 20 something years called Mattel. Funny enough, Mattel. It's called. I bought it. I bought it two days ago. What do you think of it? It's crazy. I love it. Do you like it? It's cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, it's got that Masterwork essence to it. It doesn't yeah. sound from. It's kind of like back in the day, but it's freshened for today. It's different. Yes. Yes, I don't think you can redo that sound exactly the same way. It needs no. kind of modified, but it works. It works, yeah. But I'll be I'll be dropping that on my show. Don't you worry. <laughs> work, work. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So yeah. So Kenny, yeah, Kenny and Louis broke broke the record for me, man. Really, I, I can honestly say that. You know, and you know what. We're all huge fans anyway um, of um, Masters at Work and what they've done and what they are doing. Um, and I think, to be honest with you, a lot of their vibe was influencing us very directly, the way they were programming right. samples. That was a big thing, I think, in London. You know, And when they came through with um, you know, the Nervous track, I was like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> that nervous track it, it locks in with your New Jersey deep yes yes so I have to think that that was maybe a muse for them to do what they did maybe I, you know what maybe groove. It's got, but then again I heard Kenny love that whole sound that that uh, what was it called the jazz breakbeat scene yes yeah. he went crazy over it the beat yeah Kenny was Kenny was big on that sound I mean he was you know, he loved, I mean, hence, that's why they got the, uh, you know, the whole New Eureka Soul album, wasn't it? Because of their, you know, their connection eventually with Giles Peterson, you know? Yeah. That was a big thing. Big thing, man. I heard that because I heard Giles Peterson mention that, that, you know, Louis went, uh, excuse me, Kenny went and saw at one of those, and it was Glastonbury, one of those seasons where he saw the crowd going crazy. Uh, to that broken beat sound, and yeah, it, it it just changed his whole thought process to go and start programming that way. Yeah, well, the thing the thing is, anyway, they they no not joking, man. They they should have been programming it that that way anyway, man. They were Latin dudes, man. <laughs> sure, but you know what? They were also making house music, and house music yeah. to that house music four four feel. Yes, more of a cut feel. It, look, it worked. 
but they were doing but they were doing them skips anyway. I loved all their skips and you know you can yeah they're wicked man. They're 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 they're, they're dead of Don Dadders man definitely big time yeah. Big. So of course we got New Jersey Deep, which is the early '90s, and you're starting to become that one of the top guys in our thing. This thing called house music, from especially from the English perspective, people are really giving you utmost respect because these records are breaking in America more so than even with the counterparts in England. Yeah, well, it's kind of you know we, we it's really funny the way you know I've got to say this from the bottom of my heart, Lenny. You know the American. Um, music fraternity, the dance music fraternity, you know, they gave me so much love, man. You know, I, there was one point I was even thinking of just moving to New York. Oh, really? Know? Yeah. Cause it was just, it was just happening. But saying that, you know, there's such incredible things that happen on the London scene, you know, with the, um, like you said, the broken beat thing. And there was so many different things happening. Plus we had, you know, we had cats like, uh, you know, Phil Asher and IG Culture, you know, and um, Orin Walters, all these people I knew, you know, and they were doing some really incredible music, which is just as inspiring um, to, to cats like myself, what we were doing. You know, people like Ricky Morrison, you know, he doesn't get enough props. Love Ricky, man. And Ricky was introducing me to, like, killer records, you know, out of Groove. I'll go, I'll go down to Catcher Groove Records and Ricky would be like, you need this record. <laughs> yeah, Ricky would do that. He would yeah. And push Oh, yeah. Ricky was Always. definitely a good selector. Real good selector. Knew, yeah. He knew these guys that he knew the DJs. You know, he was, for example, he makes sure Frankie Fonset would have particular pieces, I remember. That's right, yes. He blew up certain guys. That were playing in certain places, say, "Yo, you need this." Yes, exactly. Yeah. Most of the time, Frankie, Frankie, and all those guys don't. You know, Frankie Fonsett. We were having a discussion the other day, and people like Frankie, man, they don't get the props at the moment, man. And it's like he's going to get the props on this show because I bought him. I'm bringing him on for sure. Good, good, good. I'm going. I'm. I'm. I'm going into the skeleton closets to pull out the fellas. It's like, yo, man, (laughs) come on, talk, because you know, like every. Like what happens with fads, you know, a new fad comes in and all the players that were part of the institution somehow either get very few are able to weather through those fad changes. Yeah. Only a couple make it through. And there's so many others that are so important, integral parts of what we all do. They get forgotten. Yes. I don't forget. And I know you didn't forget. So we have to speak about it. We are we're there. We have to champion them. You know, bring them no, forward. absolutely. We know, and you know what? It's and it's not, and it's not about being stuck in the past. I hate that. I hate that term. It's about It's about acknowledging the builders, man. You have got to acknowledge the builders. But how do you how do you know what to go forward on if you don't understand what was behind? Exactly. Exactly, man. You have to coming up. We were checking everything that happened pre to what we were doing. Exactly. I always ask questions. That's why I'm knowledgeable. I didn't. I didn't find all this out. I didn't go out and go. Let me go in the iCloud. In the cloud. (laughs) (laughs) Cloud. The cloud was the folklore of the elders that told us the story of what happened prior to us being there. Of course, 
We all believe this. We all believe that when we came in, that nothing happened pre. Oh, there was nothing happening till we came. Oh, God, we were so off balance. It was so much happening 20 years prior to we coming. But that's just oh, the way. Oh, man. Dance, dance music, man. You know, you only have to look at footage now on, on, uh, on um, YouTube, you know, and you can see stuff's going right back to the 30s. It's you know what I mean? Back yeah. to the 30s, man, you know? Yeah. And, and all it is, is just, it's just carrying on. It's, it's just carrying on that line of what we do. You bring it into the future, you know, and you can do your stuff that sounds current, but at the same time, you know, you make sure that your head still has the past to think about sure. and, the in, and the influence of what that past has on your music, definitely. Yeah, 100%. So mm. you keep on the course on your radio show playing some of those old classic tracks and letting mm. everybody know what those tracks mean to you and the historical value. Yes, exactly. Must teach. I think what happens, I could speak for myself because we lived it. We think everybody knows the ins and outs. And we, and then you later find out most people don't know anything that's going on. <laughs> that we have done. It's crazy. As yeah. per why this show exists. Yeah. Because if you don't tell the story, Ashley, we will never know what was going on behind the scenes when you were coming up the ranks, you know? Yeah, and I'm still, and you know what? It, it, I still learn every day. I mean, I'm married to a, I'm married to a lady who has, uh, I can't even begin the depth of her knowledge of soul music and, you know, rock and roll and R&B. So I, you know, I get I get caught up in a bubble every day at some point, and she'll play me something, and I'll go, "Damn, what is that?" You know, it's just crazy. This, yeah, it's good. And we, you know, you know, getting back getting back to the story, you know, it was um, we had a lot of, um, you know, work records made with the, obviously with Express Two, we had the Ballistic Brothers, which was kind of like the funky. Soul version of Express Two. Well, it was it was almost like an alter ego, sure. if you like, Express Two. Um, and then we hit big with, um, you know, in early two thousand, we hit big with Lazy, and that was the track. I wanted to ask you how that happened. That Lazy record with um. Well, we were we were women. Who's the singer again? He's from that band. Um, it's David Byrne, Talking Heads. Talking Heads, yes. Tell us the whole. You got behind me. Look, where is he? There he is, David Byrne. Everybody, welcome, David Byrne. David Byrne, Rocky and Diesel, and myself. There you go. Give us the express (laughs) to the in-depth who, what, when, and how this all happened. Well, it's we we'd kind of we'd left Junior Boys Own because Junior Boys Own was I think they were going through a major label thing with Virgin Records or something. I wasn't quite sure. but we, I think it's, it happens, man. You know, you change. We're still friends. That's not a problem. But we ended up going to Skint Records, um, and then our first album um, that we were kind of doing for Skint, um, we were kind of working tracks out, etc. You know, uh, Lazy was quite weird. It was it was a, an idea um, between myself and Rocky, uh, if I remember rightly, where. Um, we were we were playing we were playing some loop. It was 
it was very Prince, kind of like a Prince track, you know. And me and Rocky were like singing this lyric about, I got your number, I got your number, baby. I got your number, you know, you drive me crazy. And we were playing around with the loop. And James Brown, who was our, James Brown, who was, who was white and Australian, he was our engineer. He turned around and said um, that uh, the Mac, sorry, uh, he turned around and said that um, it sounds a little bit like a, a, a Talking Heads record. And we were like, really? And the funny thing was, David Byrne, he had asked the Ballistic Brothers, which was me, Rocky Diesel, Dave Hill, and Ushi Clarson, to be his backing band. Really? Yeah. And we turned around and said, well, we can't because we're just a studio crew. Right. And this was way before. This was way before, right? So we were like, damn, we could have been David Byrne's backing band. But, you know, we had no idea. So to cut a long story short, I still had his number. So I contacted him and he said, look, send the track over. So we sent the track over. Within a couple of weeks, he sent over these lyrics that he had recorded on his Mac, and which was lazy. And we were like, oh, my God, this is – how do you make a – how do you make <laughs> – how do you make a bloody record, a dance record – about being lazy. It was just like, this is incredible. No, the vocal was hot. The whole thing, the concept was hot. Yeah. And um, so, so basically, you know, we, it took us, a, it took us a while to build up the backing track um, around it. Um, and um, a guy called Pete Z, he did the wonderful piano um, for it and everything else. And um, yeah, we got, we got the tune done. Um, you know, and I think it was – now, was it the first release from the album? I can't remember. The album was called Musicism. I don't think it's the first two album, yeah. But anyway, we played Lazy when we were doing um, our residency at the Fabric Nightclub in London, and um, we I think we played it off CD or acetate. I can't remember. But straight away, when the chorus came in, the whole crowd just went, oh, I'm wicked and I'm lazy. And I just looked at Rocky and we were like, oh, my God, this is going to be big. <laughs> it surely was. Yeah, and it went, went to number two. It went to number two in the British national charts. Uh, and I think it stayed in the top, when, top ten for about a month, I think, yeah. And I also think it came across the ocean and did something over here too in America. Yeah, I think it went it went into I think it went into number one in the Billboard Dance Charts or something that like that. For a fact, I think they were trying to push it to radio here. Yeah, yeah, commercial radio at the time. Great song. Yeah, and it was an absolute uh, an absolute pleasure working with David Byrne as well. Because I mean, you know, because to a lot of us in in the UK. You know, uh, David Byrne's an absolute hero, you know. Oh, yeah. Talking he's heads, man. Talking heads are like the band. He's yeah. one of the treasures. Definitely. You know, and we got to do Top of the Pops with him in the UK, which was hilarious. Backing band on Top of the Pops. No, we, we sat on stage and pretended we were being very lazy. And David sang the song live and danced. And that was it. <laughs> So what did the BBC um, producers say to you? Act lazy? What the hell is it supposed to do? Slim no, they wanted us to pretend we were a band, you know, with like unplugged K-1 
keyboards and all that. And we were like, no, no, we just want to sit on stage and pretend we're not doing anything. We're not pretending, just not doing anything. And we didn't. So anyone that goes to YouTube and looks up the footage of uh, Lazy on top of the pops, just sitting on stage doing absolutely nothing. In fact, Rocky's on a bunk bed. (laughs) It's the truth. (laughs) Rocky's on a bunk bed staring off into space. Grammys and awards, here we go. (laughs) <laughs> best man who laid down on the job. Let's <laughs> bring up. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. So you know, all in all, you know, we've had we've had some great times, and you know, basically, I did my time with Express Two. You know, I went on to work with Horace Andy, the reggae singer. I did an album with him. Called yeah. uh, Inspiration Information through Strut, uh, Strut Records, yeah, uh, and that was that was brilliant. That was such a joy working on. And we went on tour. Um, that was fantastic. You know, I went on tour with a live band, and then um, we did a project. I did a project called Mavis with um, uh, Darren Morris, who's now my long-term musical partner, and we did that for K Seven Records. Right. And that was a that was a project that was based around the idea of Mavis Staples from the Staples Singers. So it's a very down tempo, very slow album. I think I needed it because I've been uh, I've been running around doing house gigs for far too long, you know. <laughs> it's called decompression now. Decompression, yeah. It was a deep, it was a decompression record. You're absolutely right. It was. And that, you know, that was an absolute joy to work on because we had all, um, you know, different artists working on that project. It was fantastic, you uh-huh. know. So, yeah, all's good. All's good, man. We're now late 90s, 2000s. Well, Lazy, like I said, Lazy was the kind of early 2000s. Right. So you we, always- made, we made another... Um, Express Two album called Makeshift Feel Good, which didn't do as well as the first album, but we were really trying to stretch ourselves um, musically. Um, and it's quite weird, actually, because we now get lots of people, um, you know, coming up to us sort of saying, man, you know, that album was real slept on, which, you know, I think it was to a degree, but I think it's just the way it is really, you know, you you – you try and experiment and you try and push yourself forward as a musician and a producer. Um, and sometimes, I don't know, sometimes you leave the pack is the best description, you know? Uh, and then you come back into it when you're ready. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it sounds like to me, this is the moment where you start to step away from Express 2 and all that? Yeah, yeah, I stepped away from Express 2 and I was doing a lot of solo work and I was doing a lot of um, of um, different parties as well. I started up the heavy disco parties um, with Diesel and Dave Jarvis and I think we were just trying to rediscover our roots because um, Diesel and Dave Jarvis had the Moton label. Now, the Moton label was a kind of label dedicated to um, rare re-edit and stuff, you know, disco stuff and that. And we were all kind of finding, um, you know, rare tunes and 
not even, well, sometimes not even rare tunes, just crazy tunes that we like. It didn't have to necessarily be rare. So we, we started our heavy disco parties, and, they, you know, we didn't do too many of those, but we started the heavy disco label, um, and that's kind of grown now into, I do a radio show now on uh, Giles Peterson's Worldwide FM, which is called the Heavy Disco Spectacular. I don't play a lot of disco. <laughs> I don't play a lot of disco. I play a lot of what I would call modern dance music, yeah. But it's based on the fact that disco was always about pushing forward, constantly pushing forward. Yeah. Sure. Um, then, is it, is it simulcasted or is it just on the one station? No, it's on, it's on Worldwide FM, but it goes out on Mixcloud as well. Okay. And it goes out it goes out on the World Worldwide FM. Ashley Beat on Worldwide FM. I know they also have Giles on there. It's his station. Louis Vega's on there as well. Yeah. France Cos Cosmo, Francois Cosmo's on there. Yeah, Cosmo's on there. Um, but then, you know, the interesting thing was I had a bit of a kind of um when I when I married, you know, I met Joe again after a long time, and I'll be very honest with you. Um, I went through a bit of a pad, a bad personal period. Um, I was very ill, um, and I was kind of not – I hadn't given up on music at all, but I kind of got quite bored with a lot of music, and I wasn't feeling things. And it happens. You know that, Lenny? It happens, doesn't it? You have a period where you're kind of not feeling. Then I met Joe, and Joe um, got made redundant, and she then set up uh, Ramrock Records and F-Star Clear. Now, F-Star Clear was the house label, and Ramrock Records was the label that dealt with reggae, hip-hop, soul, rock, everything, you know. And once she did that, I kind of, I kind of became almost like an in-house uh, producer. Yeah. Right. So, you know, we put out some great music. We've got Glenn Davis. We've got Blazers. We've got Camilla Wahid from New Jersey. You know, we've got um, Brian Jackson is doing some work for us, and... Gil Scott Heron and Brian Jackson. So he's doing some work for us. Uh, yeah, and, you know, there's a lot of very, very interesting people. Um, there's another crew from Italy called Wearing Shoes who are doing some incredible house music. And once all that started to come through, Lenny, um, it, it re, you know, it, it reinvigorated me. It was like, bam, you know, this is this is what's happening. That's this what is you true. need sometimes. You need yeah. Like that to to I call it to pull you back in. Yes, just exactly. like a grandfather. Just when you thought you were out, they pull you right back in. Yeah, and then my and then my partner Darren, he reset up his studio and we called it North Street because that's where the studio was in a place called Hastings, which is down south by the seaside. Yeah, and then we've moved the studio now, and um, it's called North Street West. So all of our productions that are coming out now on, around under the name North Street West or Ashley Beadle's North Street West mix or Joe Morris, sorry, Joe Wallace and Darren Morris's North Street West mixes. You know, it's 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 a lovely community. We're really and we're working hard and you know, we're doing all that at the moment. And then, you know, a couple of years ago, um, 
we got asked by Razor and Tape Records. Oh, wow. They'd they'd signed um, an African track. um, And me and Rob Mello um, were toying with the idea of reforming the Black Science Orchestra. And it was our our manager, um, Adam Dewhurst, or Daddy Ad, as I like to call him, he his now his his wife is Cosmo. There you go. His partner's Cosmo. So um, he's my manager as well, as I said. And uh, he gave us the. He said, "Look, why don't you guys get it together?" And we were like, "Okay, let's do it." Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Thanks. So we did. So we did the remix. So we did the remix of the African track, which is now coming out. I think this week digitally, um, and then. We gave it a little bit of a rest, and then Terry Farley um, and another guy called Snowy and uh, Wade Wade Teo, they came to us with a project called um, uh, uh, Ghost, name of the track, with Gary Dennis, uh, Gary Dennis from Chicago on lead vocals. Oh, sorry, Harry Dennis. I always get it wrong. Hey, Joe, Joe, uh, Joe is our spell check and Claire. She's a spell checker, yeah. And Joe's coming back. She's fact checking everybody. <laughs> Me and Joe during Trump. Joe, where were you during the Trump era when we needed someone to completely fact check? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we got Harry Dennis in, and Harry Dennis was there, and we did the Black Science Orchestra remixes, and it just blew up, completely blew up. All the you know, and it came out on Joe's label, F Star Clear. And yeah, and so that that kind of confirmed to us, okay folks, here come the Black Science Orchestra in its fourth no, sixth sixth incarnation. Yeah. yeah. Twenty-nine years later. Black Science is back. Uh, yeah, yeah, almost three almost three decades, mate. Yeah. Yeah. What would you have changed? Anything? Have you changed anything? From no. <laughs> Did you guys get stung with any of the problems with the samples or anything over the well, years? Well, no, not really, because New Jersey Deep eventually got cleared. Okay. Um, that eventually got cleared um, because um, I, I was literally, I bumped into the bass player who actually lives in where I live in Ramsgate. Oh, really? Skip McDonald. And what did he say? We're good, mate. We're all good. Everybody's yeah, good. we're all good. And we got it cleared. And he, he was, because Skip, Skip McDonald works with um, Adrian Sherwood, the reggae producer, who's a very, very famous guy. And he lives in Ramsgate as well. So, yeah, but we got the, we got the samples. Yeah, we got the samples cleared, which is good, you know. But we're, uh, you know, but the new, the new Black Science, which basically is myself, Rob Mello. And Darren Morris, and then we're going to be having loads of guests and other people involved with the project as well. But we're the central, we're the central core, yeah. So is it still the same? Uh, let's talk about the DNA of it. Is it still the same with the samples? Or are you guys doing something a bit different now as far as replaying? Mm-hmm. Parts like what are you doing? You know, like try to explain to us what the Black Science Orchestra is now without the, black, the black Science Orchestra is is well the, the, the new version of the Black Science Orchestra is more about creating our own music, but based around that golden period, if you like, gotcha uh, of disco, you know. But we're bringing it right up to date, and I don't I, I don't want people to think it's the kind of like 
you know, we're sampling old disco tracks and then reflipping them and stuff like that. Kind of in a way, we use them as ideas, but we're 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 creating our own music. And also, we are going to be doing live gigs as well. So yeah, so I think from from about August onwards, um, we've got a couple of we've got a couple of uh, festivals booked in. Um, so we've got love hangover. Could see those those come to fruition. Yeah, we got love hangover. I think and the Houghton Vest Festival. Yeah, that, those are the ones that seem to be penciled in at the moment. Okay. So, yeah. So we're looking forward to that. Here's something now. Think about this for a second. You talked about wanting to possibly come live in New York. Yeah. There was a moment where a bunch of us were saying, man, we should live in London. <laughs> Crazy. I can imagine. I can imagine. For a, reason, for a moment, because we're making all these tracks and all our work. 90% of it was the UK for, for the beginning part before the thing broke out like crazy all over the world. But the UK was such a, an important integral point, especially for someone like me. And I know for a lot of the guys, we wouldn't have careers the way we have them today if it wasn't for all of you guys supporting what we do. Now, I know you wanted to live in New York because New York was popping. I get it. But maybe you were better off staying home in England because in the long game, you had a chance to keep going out and working. Yes. We didn't have in America. Yes, we have gigs, but let's talk about who came over. Sasha and Digweed, Paul Oakenfold, Carl Cox. Yes, Carl's a soul boy. I had him on the show. Great DJ, but he's playing techno. Yeah. You know, you got me. So anything that has a black connotation to it, it worked in your country more yes. than your year. You know, so. Exactly, yeah. But calling, yeah. What is this calling being real? I'm being totally real about it. No, totally, man. But I'm, I'm happy being where I am now, you know. And, the, you know, coming, coming to New York now on holidays or visiting friends, et cetera, um, it's still, you know, it's still an absolute joy. We view, we view New. I still view New York as my, my godmother. <laughs> it's magical. Like, look, dude, to watch that record get played in certain clubs, there's nothing like. You no know, people, don't, unless you you experience that, I've said it over and over. You don't know what that feels like. If we had Tay Douglas last week, tell us. The closing weekend of Paradise Garage, his first record, Larry LeVan, dropped four or five times that weekend. What a feeling that. And him and Teddy Douglas, which I didn't know, sang on Love Don't Live Here No More. Yes. yes. I didn't know he sang. I knew it was his first record. I had no idea he was a singer on it. And when he told us, I was like, he's like, dude, you know, that was like such a moment. Larry LeVan, Paradise Garage. Close yeah. weekend and rocking my first record that I made. Wow. That's a wow moment. You know, it's a wow. Yeah, I know. I, I know. Man. The, euphoria, the euphoria of feeling that I remember having our records played, you guys playing our records. It was like, 
holy smoke, look at the people going nuts. Wow. Oh, no. but, that's, but, you know, you know the score, man. That, that's just the wonder and beauty of music, isn't it, you know? How it brings us all together. We become family. Yeah. We all become one big happy family. We don't have no, no one thing to separate that. We all no. do, you know? It's funny, isn't it? We don't, you know, like we, we sometimes, you know, you don't see someone for years and then, like you, you know, I bumped into you at the BBE place and it's no, like, hey, Renny. <laughs> what's going on? Next thing I know, I hang out there for hours drinking. Yeah. <laughs> like the old days to me. Yeah. You know? That's it's what I'm talking about. So you got, you, got, you got the gigs popping. You got the radio show cooking. Where do you see, okay, Let's talk about post-COVID. Where do you think, you, what do you want to do, bro? Where, where, I just, all I want to do now is, is carry on working um, for the Ramrock um, F-Star Clear record labels um, and Black Science Orchestra. Boom. You There's know. nothing else. No. Well, there will be, you know, I always get remixes to do, you know what I mean? So, you know, I'll always be involved with doing remixes for people. Um, but the, the Black Science Orchestra is a very important thing because um, we're just working on a – funny enough, the next uh, idea we're working on single, um, I can tell you now, it's going to be called uh, – it's an upgrade from New Jersey Deep and it's going to be called New Jersey Dope. <laughs> okay, so people ask yeah. these questions. I get people writing in to me. Yeah. What's your kit for today when you – as far as your studio setup, like what door are you working on now? What do you still work the same way? Like you worked back in the day with the samplers and stuff, or are you working in the box? Can you explain, you know, what, what oh, you we use? Well, we use a lot of outboard synths. Um, we've got machine. Um, we've got, um, I love working on machine. Uh, Darren, my, cause I used to love the SP 1200, right? MPC, but I love machine now. Um, Darren, Darren is a multi-instrumentalist, Darren Morris. So he does the bass and the keyboards and everything else. And, um, we work with a German company as well called Brainworks, who, um, they gave, they give us a lot of, um, uh, apps and plugins and stuff to work with, you know, some incredible stuff. So we do our own mastering as well, you know, um, and also we're working, we're not, we, we were working with Logic. We don't work with Logic now. We're working on Studio One. That's our setup now. And it's really good. Love it. Yeah. So, yeah. So I re we're really enjoying that, working with that. But to be honest with you, we are, you know, we, we have so much fun. Rob Mello's studio, I mean, he's got some incredible kit. I need to write it all down. But he's got loads of old school stuff in there. Amazing stuff. Yeah. I would think he yeah. would. He's been, he's, an old, he's he's been around the block not once, not twice, a lot, a lot. <laughs> yeah, he's he's hot. Rob's hot man in the studio. So yeah, definitely. You know, we spoke off camera about um, the Nietzsche vinyl business. What do you think about it? Because you come from the same you know uh time as i do with vinyl and how many units we used to ship how do you feel about it today is it more niche or i think it's more yeah i think it's more niche you know i mean 
when if a lot of people buying the vinyl on the dance scene now, I think are more um, collectors. You know, they're collecting records. That's their vibe. You know, I think COVID has made because it's made people stay at home. You know, they've they've got their the decks out. You know, I need to buy some vinyl. You know, and also for the fact we've got sites like Bandcamp who are doing all these very, very kind of exclusive, rare vinyl, everything you need to get if you're a, a vinyl enthusiast, you know. So that's happening. So, you know, I wouldn't say it, it, it's definitely grown again, but I don't think that the what it, what like it used to be, you know. Well, it, let's be honest. Will anything be like it used to be? I mean, it, Never. <laughs> and that's part of change. Nothing is ever the same. Yeah. You know, we kind of sound like our forefathers. Back in the day, we had better. <laughs> it was so great. I understand now. I get no, it. But to be honest with you, when I go out and DJ now, Lenny, I love I love a USB stick. That's my thing, you know? So I make sure I've got two, two copies of the same stick when I go out. I'm happy. And you know what? It's DJ Harvey was saying, I think, back, back a while back, that the, 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 you get a pure sound signal from a, from a wave out of a USB stick than what you do from a piece of vinyl. There you go. <laughs> They're going to scream at us to hear that. How dare he says that? There's, there's no warmth to that WAV file. <laughs> Here's something for you, brother, before we, we wrap up. Let, let, me, let me hit you with this one. You remember back in the day, the American pressings coming over. Yeah. How they sounded and how they were mastered. Because you talked about mastering. Yeah. We used to love those English presses because they were real bright and loud. What did you prefer? Which ones did you prefer? Did you like the American pressings of those records? Or did you more like when they took the masters in and remastered them and put them back out in the UK? Um, to be honest with you. I used to look on the American pressings, and I remember we used to look in the run-out groove, right? And if you saw Frankfurt Wayne, you were happy. You were happy. (laughs) The master master in there was the bomb. Herb pumping powers. Herb pumping powers, exactly. Not Austin powers. That's herb pumping powers. He was the man. He was the man. Now, you know, and if you saw those names, that's all you needed to know. All you you knew the record was already something you got to put on the turntable. You didn't even give a crap. You wanted to g- give me that record. Give me the record. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but, you know, we did We did the mastering in the UK. I was okay with dance tracks. But to be honest with you, I, I've got to say it, man. It, yeah, her pumping powers, man. That's the dude. During yeah. the 90s, that changed, though. You started seeing Alchemy Mastering in the UK on Shaftesbury Avenue. A lot of places were really great. Porky's. Porky's was another place. Porky's Mastery. Yes, I see that. Porky's. And I'll tell you, um, we used to mix the records, say, in New York, and then send them over to the UK to get that mastering, that finished, that polished. It's like putting some clear coat on something. Like, can't 
they were great at that. Were you guys doing the same? Were you using those guys or were you sending stuff over to New York? No, we were we were using Porky's a lot. I used Porky's all the time because the guy the guy that worked at Porky's was incredible. He was Will you remember his name? I can't remember his name, but he used to he used to do you a little message. You say to him, can he say to you, what would you like in your run out groove? And you put something really cryptic or you'll diss somebody. <laughs> yeah, make sure you put that in there. Yeah. <laughs> you get the mat, you get the you get the, you get the, the mother lack, and you look, oh, there it is. There it is, yeah. No, no one's gonna know what the hell this means, but later on we'll figure it out. <laughs> Funny man. But no, it was there were there were good days, man. They were very good days. Excellent days, and you know, yeah. like, true champion of the scene, and you know. I mean, I just, it's funny. I just did two articles for Faith Magazine. I know you, Terry, and them, Faith. Yes. I know you were probably in that magazine too in the beginning uh, when you were, I, I think you were in that magazine back then, back in the 90s. Yeah, well, I, well Terry never says it, but Faith, was that, was that Terry, Terry actually gave me a phone call and he said, look, we're putting on a party, but we need to come up with a good name. You're good at names, that Ashley. Like, that sounds yeah. like him. That just yeah. sounds like and he, and he said to me, you're, you're good with names, Ashley. And I put the phone down and I was looking at the television and George Michael came on singing Faith. <laughs> and I ran, this is the truth. And I rang Terry back within five minutes. I went, yeah, call the party Faith. <laughs> well done. Well done. But he probably said it like this. He probably said to you, Ashley? Can you come up with a name that works? <laughs> <laughs> well, I should have I should have copyrighted it, right? Yeah. I would have been, been all right, man. <laughs> oh, man. Talk about and and it's it just you know, and, and nobody's ever mentioned how that name, and I'm so glad now. Everyone see how true house stories on earth and then and if Terry denies it, I will come after him. Trust me. <laughs> Do me a favor, everyone. Send Terry Farley a good message saying, we now know how the Faith Magazine name has was born. Was born, yeah. Born. yeah. Actually, but, it wasn't, but it's actually, it was the Faith Parties. I think the, the magazine, um, I don't know whether it came after. It might have come after. But that was for the, that was how it started, yeah, Faith. Holy smoke. So it, it was, give George Michael all the thanks, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> Oh, we gotta give you the thanks because you watched George Michael and said, "You know what? That would be all right." Hang on, pick up the phone, call him back. Next thing you know, call your party faith. Yeah, well done, Governor. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, but he's uh, but once again, you know, Lenny. All I can say, you know, in this wonderful world of dance music we have and music in general, anyway. Um, it's just so nice to still be in after all these years, still in the game. You know what I mean? And how about relevant? Yeah. Not only just be in the game, because you could be like, you know, we talked about this. You could be the guy in the back has sipping the drink, but I'm talking about being in the pit still and being relevant and revered for what you do, what you've done, and what you're about to bring out again. More. More. But you know what? But a, lot, a lot of that as well, Lenny, and you know this as well, is when you've got that team with you, when you've got that team around you, you know, that's what that's what helps it work. And I've got that. You know, I've got some wonderful people that I work with. You know, so you've got big up Rob Mello, you've got big up 
Darren Morris, you got a big up daddy ad, you know, big up my beautiful Joe who's sitting over there at the back. Terry, you know, yeah, bring Joe, bring Joe into the True House Stories family. Yeah, come around, come around with your trainers, lady. You have to turn it round. Hey, look, check this out. Let's bring Joe into the world of True House Stories. Look at Joe and her trainers. This is the machinery behind Ashley Beetle. She's the one that cracks the whip. <laughs> this I do know. So, Miss Wallace, how difficult is Ashley had been to keep him on track. You can only tell us because he's doing great work, but someone has to be the person that keeps the man on the tracks. So tell us what, how that's, what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> Just tell him to focus. When we wake up in the morning, the first thing we talk about is music. When we go to bed, the last thing we talk about is music. We share this common bond between us, and it's not me living my life vicariously through Ashley because I, I have my own musical path, but it's just saying to him, you are not just my husband, you are a national treasure. You are Ashley Beadle. You are respected. You have walked a mile in those shoes. You will continue to walk a mile in those shoes because I'll buy you new ones if necessary. And it's just basically you reaffirm it every now. Yeah, completely. And you just say what you're doing now is important. You're passing the baton on to the future and encourage those who are coming up through the ranks and just make sure that everything is done with respect to manners and, you know, give a tip to everyone who's helped you, give a tip to everyone who came before you and, you know, take notice of what's going on. Don't do beefs with people. Don't diss people. And just basically just carry on having fun and making music. And I'm, I'm in a very privileged position, not just to be the missus, but to be involved with this on a daily basis. And it's like working in a sweet shop and never getting fat. That's nice. It's a nice way of putting it. Really? You know? So basically, like they always say, don't get high on your own supply. Ever. No, ever. <laughs> don't smoke <laughs> <the> profits. <laughs> said it so right. I always coin this every time. And I say it, the, the music should be bigger than us because the minute we think we're bigger than the music, we're finished. And we're only conduits. We're only conduits. We are man. only conduits. We're only it's, the messengers. Yep. It's passed down to us from whichever, you know, God do you want to think that passes it down. The molecules come into the room and we just forward them. And we just make sure that the the love gets spread and that's all it's about. And you know, when when I used to run my clubs, I used to say to the doorman, what were people doing on the way out? And they'd say, smiling. And that is the bottom line. That's it. That's it. And you know what? Here's the thing I tried to explain to all the newbies. And I say the newbies. Dedication. And also the care of what we all do. And the acceptance of failure. Completely yeah, embrace it. Embrace it. Embrace the failure. Yep. You can learn from the failure. 
and turn it around 180, not 360, because you don't want to fail again, but you want to do a bow face and you want to take your hands, uh, take the dust off and keep it moving, right? Lemon, lemonade every time. And, you know, always give props to those who inspired you. And, you know, when you meet people, always take an interest in what they do. Um, you are never bigger than the music. The music finds you. You are only a little vessel. And when I shuffle off this mortal coil, I'm just happy to have been part of that incredible, exciting journey that I've been part of. You know, and this is just another chapter. Yeah. And it will continue and continue. It's a very big book and there are lots of words and and you know, that's it, just make everybody happy. Wise words from the powerhouse herself, Joe Wallace, the trainer. Extraordinaire. She keeps <laughs> that rare rock in control. Mission control over there. Ashley Beetle. I'm back. Said, mate, a total geographical national treasure. <laughs> the Black Science Orchestra is the bomb. Lenny Fontana will always be a fan of you, bro. No matter Listen, where you are. Lenny, you know, I've got to say this, man. Thank you so much for allowing me to um, shoot my mouth off. <laughs> and thank you. And bless you, man. I must say, bless you because. You're a person that, you know, we should all admire and bow our heads to as well. Trust me. We love you, brother. You know yeah. that. We love you and, and fans love you. And we will see you soon. Listen, we're going to hopefully be out to New York if if the uh, travel allows us by the end of the year. So okay, we'll see know, each we'll, other. We'll see each other, man. Also, Ashley, we need a mix from you for True House Stories Takeover. Any of your mixes would rock our world. We'd love to. I will do. I will do a special mix for you. Trust Karen, me. Karen, you heard that? Karen, make sure you follow up, Mister Beetle. <laughs> Please. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will do. Oh, don't you worry. I'll do a special mix for you. I will, thank Absolutely. you again. And, and oh my God, this is incredible! And we can only say from the True House Stories family, thank you, Mr. Ashley Beetle and Mr. Wallace, for actually giving us some great words of wisdom that I hear. <laughs> and all the people that follow True House Stories, we get fan mail. Ashley, believe it or not, someone wrote to me today and said that this series of programs that we have done during this um, time of darkness, let's say, yeah brought so much light teaching it's given people hope people have found a new career because of how we speak you know you don't know how many people you mentored nor touched through music it's music is the healing force of the world oh and absolutely man it's the universal language trust me and hopefully through this our music and I believe this, and I could be wrong, but man, when COVID's over, holy smoke, there's going to be more dancing than we can have. <laughs> I know that oh. I'm shining up my trainers to come out and I keep calling every day. I'm ready to play. I'm ready to play. I'm so ready. Oh, we'll all be popping, man. We're going to be popping. Oh, my That's God. Cool. I know I'm going to be feeling like I'm 25 again and playing at, like the roaring 20s. Here we come. Absolutely. Joe's showing me a note. What does it say, darling? Standard Hotel. Oh, yeah. When we come over, we're going to come to the Standard Hotel again. We like that. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We do, we do a party on the top floor again. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because you know what? Actually, the band called me. I have to do the. I'm one of the residents for the Birdcage party, and I will be playing shortly soon for the gathering of all of us coming back together. I can't wait. Oh. Yes. yes, yes, yes. Christina. Oh. Yeah, I wish I was there, man. The band, <laughs> here we go, baby. Back to disco. Back to disco and house music all night long. <laughs> Once again, thank you. Before I let you go, I want to say one thing we have for next week, okay? Because you know how we let house talk to disco. We're actually bringing a disco icon, Ralphie D from Odyssey 2001, Saturday Night Fever. He's going to tell us his story. His story. Yes. Amazing. He's coming on next week. He's yes, he's coming. I'm sorry to be in front of you, Ashley, but he is coming. I know Joe loves saying it. He does look. That's my heart. That's my heart. <laughs> he's coming on with pictures and everything behind the scenes from the movie and everything. Wow. We will be so tuned into that, man. <laughs> and listen, when we come over to New York, you're gonna have to introduce me and Joe right. to him, Don't man. worry, don't worry. Ralphie, yeah. Ralphie will be, yes, 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 and he has pictures. Wow. All the way, he kept napkins with phone numbers on them. It's crazy. Okay. Joe's, Joe's just falling off the seat. <laughs> so you tune in and tell all your disco queens to tune in next week for Ralphie D. But again, we can't thank Mr. Ashley Beetle, Joe Wallace, Ramrock, Black Science Orchestra the world. Keep doing what you're doing, brother. You are a treasure. That's it. Thank That's you. Thank you. God bless. Everyone thank around you. the world, thank you again for tuning in to 